Well, Father, we thank you for giving the gift of your Son to us. We thank you for giving the gift of your Spirit to us. Thank you for giving your word to us, Lord. Now would you please give us ears to hear it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning once again to all of you, and Happy New Year. Today, as we start off a new year, we have the joy of turning in our Bibles to one of the most amazing descriptions of Jesus in all of Scripture. As we turn the page to 2023, God invites us, before we go any further, before we take another step into this new year to begin at the beginning. So if you have a Bible with you, let me encourage you to open it to the Gospel according to John, to those verses that Stephen just read to us. John chapter 1, looking at verses 1 through 18. The Gospels of Matthew and Luke begin with Jesus' birth. The Gospel of Mark begins with his baptism. And the gospel, according to John, begins literally in the beginning. So just so we can all get our bearings here this morning. Some of you might have been up really late last night. I don't know. And here we are in John 1. So just so we can all get our bearings, here's a quick overview of what's happening in this section here. John opens his gospel by, you will have noticed, evoking the same language from Genesis. Uh, at the same beginning as the beginning of the book of Genesis. It's as if John is taking us as behind the scenes as possible. It's as if he's stretching our minds as far back in time as possible in order to give us the greatest vision of Jesus as possible. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We are thrown right into the deep end here. <laughs> Verse 1, to use a theological term, this is high Christology. To uh, use layman's terms, this is some epic stuff, okay? <laughs> this is glorious stuff, though, because it's true. John is saying that Jesus, the one who was born in Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, truly was fully man, was also truly fully God because he was and always has been fully God from the very beginning. And so what that means is this high Christology, this epic stuff is practically good news for you and me because it means that it means the God of highest heaven actually did come down into the depths of humanity and the depths of darkness to save us. John goes on. Uh, the next several verses to describe Jesus as being eternally existent, eternally begotten of the Father, and not just there before creation, not just there at creation, but actually there active in creation. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He goes on to say, verse 4 and onward, Jesus is the life and light of men that this eternally existing word and life and light was made flesh and dwelt among us, that he is full of grace and truth. And John says towards the end of his prologue in verses 17 and 18, Jesus makes it possible for us to see what up until his coming was not fully seeable 
And Jesus helps us know what up until his coming was not fully knowable. All of this and more in just 18 verses. If this was a building that John was building, there'd be layer upon layer upon layer. If it was a painting, brushstroke upon brushstroke. If it was a symphony, we would have sweeping melody upon sweeping melody here all about Jesus. We could, probably should, probably will someday spend weeks just in these 18 verses, just in this prologue. It's that incredible. For now, we just have one sermon. So, no pressure. I made the mistake this week of cracking open several commentaries about this, and I found one that quoted Augustine, Calvin, and one other, I can't remember who it was, someone who lived a long time ago and was incredibly brilliant, who all said, basically, John's prologue is such a masterpiece, we shouldn't say anything about it. <laughs> Let it stand for itself. So what do they know? I'll try my best. <laughs> Next week, uh, January 8th, we'll be on to Epiphany. Uh, the Sunday after that, we'll be back into Philippians. So on this New Year's Day, just 10 hours and 24 minutes into 2023, I believe God is inviting us into this prologue back to the beginning for a reason. And it's so that we would actually live our lives differently this year than we lived our lives before. That we would be a people different than the people we were before. That his word would have that impact on us. That gazing at Jesus would actually have that kind of practical impact on us. That we would be a different church than the kind of church we were before. That we would live as a people and as a church more fully in Jesus' fullness. More fully in Jesus' fullness. Before you go any further today. Before you go back to work this week. Before you go back to school before you get back into your normal rhythms and normal routines, and before we go any further, before we sing another song, before we have any more meetings or any more services, before we make any more decisions, I believe God has us, this particular group of people, this particular church with all of our particular particularities, looking at John chapter 1 this morning, because before we, before we go any further... We take another step. He wants to make sure we would live this year as a people and as a church more fully in Jesus' fullness. No amount of New Year's resolutions will change your life. No amount of self-discipline, self-motivation, or self-improvement will change your life. And no amount of page-turning will change this church. No amount of fresh starts or new initiatives or life-changing sermons will change your life. There's only one thing that will change your life. There's only one thing that will change this church, and it's living in the fullness of Christ. So we're thrown into the deep waters this morning, the deep waters of the glories of Jesus for a reason, and the reason is so that it would actually change how we live. The Holy Spirit didn't inspire John to write these things so that we would be confused or so that we would get bogged down into theological mysteries and hard-to-understand doctrines of Jesus. Not at all. The Holy Spirit inspired John to write these things. We are told at the end of John's gospel, 
chapter 20, verse 31, for this reason. This is why John wrote this prologue. It's why John wrote this whole book, in fact. Here it is. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that, by believing, you may have life in his name. That's what it all boils down to. That's what this whole epic symphonic prologue boils down to, that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and then that by believing, we may have life, fullness of life, abundant life in his name. Living more fully in the fullness of life in his name that can change everything. And it's as simple and radical as this this morning. God's invitation to us is to live in the fullness of Christ, to draw from the fullness of Christ, and to walk forward for you and for me and for this church, to walk forward into this new year, not fixated on all the realities of our lives, but actually fixated on the realities of Christ. So we're not here all week. We'll just focus on four. Four realities this morning. Number one, Jesus is our life and our light. Look at me at verses three through five. All things were made through Jesus. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is reality. Jesus is our life, and our light. Jesus sustains every breath you breathe. Jesus sustains every step you take, every beat of your heart. Jesus will sustain you this year into every meeting you walk into, into every appointment, into every classroom, into every situation. Jesus is not a passive bystander observing your life from afar. Jesus is actively involved in your life, sustaining you, upholding you at all times, even this very moment. And he's been doing this for the entire universe since before the beginning of time. You may very well have made some resolutions for this year, hopefully Half an hour into 10 o'clock hour, you've not broken them already. And if you do have New Year's resolutions, great. But know this, Jesus has had the same resolution since before all time, and he's never once broken it. And Jesus's resolution is simply this, to uphold the universe by the word of his power. So whatever resolutions you do have, whatever plans you've already made, whatever appointments are already on your calendar, don't let that lure you into a false reality that you are the upholder of your little kingdom. Don't get lost in the illusion of your own grandeur. Make your resolutions totally. Make your plans totally. Fill up your calendar like everyone else in Northern Virginia But don't make the mistake of closing your eyes to this reality. Jesus is your life and light. What a difference that could make if we grabbed hold of that. What a difference that could make simply to our outlook, simply to our heart's posture, to our anxiety level. 
If before every new day, before every meeting, before an operation, we remembered the opening to John's prologue, and maybe instead of listening to ourselves, we talked to ourselves for a moment, and we said, Jesus is my life and my light. We say this in our creed every week. Jesus is God from God, light from light, true God from true God. And so that means there is no darkness in my life right now. And there is no darkness ahead of me in the days to come in 2023. There is no darkness so dark that Jesus' light has not overcome it. Again, this is a practical effect of Jesus' incarnation. We say for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and from the Virgin Mary. And what? Was made man. Jesus isn't your life and light theoretically. Because he came, because he was born, because he lived, because he reigns, Jesus is your life and light, really. That's our first reality. Reality number two, we are witnesses about that light. Look at me now at verse six. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Here's one takeaway from this. Here's one simple way we could live our lives differently this year, is if we grabbed hold of this reality, that we are not the light. <laughs> we are witnesses about the light. This is a subtle thing, but it sure can ruin everything when we get it wrong. And it sure can change everything if we get it right. We are pointers. We are not the point. We are messengers. We are not the message. We reflect the light. We are not the light. I love how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 4, 5. He says, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We are witnesses about the light. We're not the light. We are servants, as Paul says, for Jesus' sake. We're not servants for our reputation's sake. Just imagine how much healthier we would all be, how much more functional the church of Jesus Christ would be if we truly understood verses 6 through 8. Mostly what I think it would do is it would make us a lot more humble about ourselves and a lot more confident in Jesus if we got this into our bones. A lot more humble and a lot more confident. That's what this little section, I think, from John's prologue communicates, if we have ears to hear it. John knew who he was. He was a witness. John knew who he wasn't. He wasn't the light. John knew who was the light, Jesus. Skipping ahead uh, for a moment to verse 15, we read about a different John, John the Baptist, who said uh, this about Jesus. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Both Johns in our text this morning, John the Apostle and John the Baptist get the order right. Jesus ranks before me because he is before me, because he was before me. This is living in the fullness of Christ here. This is living so fixated on the reality of Christ that the message of my life and the message of this church on this street corner 
is more and more Jesus, less and less of me. John the Baptist is quoted again later in this book. John 3.30 is saying this. He, Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. It's reality number two. We are witnesses about the light. Perhaps a good goal for us this coming year would be that we would decrease and Jesus would increase. Number three, Jesus pursues us with his light. This is not a passive light. It's not just a a light that's fixed in the heavenlies. It doesn't move. The light of Jesus is Jesus himself, and it's a light that pursues all people. Verses 9 through 13, five verses summarize both what happened in Jesus' ministry and they summarize the heart of God in Christ. So what happened? Verse 9, true light came into the world. Verse 10, even though he came into the world, the world that he himself had made, it was blind to him. Verse 11, he was rejected by some. Verse 12, he was accepted by others. Verse 13, those who accept him and believe in him and receive him are made his children. They're adopted. That's what happened. These verses also, though, show us the heart of God in Christ that pursues us and follows us even when we reject him. Jesus pursues both those who are outside of him in order that they might receive the right to become his children, and Jesus pursues his children who wander away from him in order that they might enjoy the benefits of the rights that are theirs as his children. John describes Jesus, you notice this, in verse 9, as the true light. What that means is he's, he's the real thing, not the counterfeit thing. He's the true light. Jesus is himself light. Notice, John doesn't describe Jesus as carrying light, as if he's carrying a lantern in his hands. John doesn't describe Jesus as shining light, as if he's got a a spotlight from heaven that he shines upon you from, from afar. John describes Jesus as the light, the true light. Jesus is himself light. Jesus pursues you as the true light. Here's some just practical implications of this then for you and me as we think about a new year. It means that even though we don't know what we're walking into this year, and even though we don't know the places and the times where we will fail and we will sin, we'll stumble and wander away from the light, Jesus knows, and yet he loves us, and he pursues us with his light. And because he's God and he's infinite, he's gone before us with his light. This good news means that for you, as sophisticated and bright and well-educated as you are, the pressure is off. You don't have to be the light. You're not the light. Jesus is the light. And it means that as broken as you are and as sinful as you are, you cannot outrun the light. You are By grace, a child of light. Praise God. In this year ahead, we know this because we're broken and sinful people. We live in a broken and sinful world. Very often, circumstances around us are going to look dark. And sometimes, because we're sinners, we will sinfully and foolishly embrace 
the dark. But living in Jesus' fullness, living in the light, living as a child of the light, means that no matter what we see around us, and no matter how much we mess up, Jesus pursues us with his light because he is by nature light. So think back on this past year for a minute, on 2022, if you can think back that far. Think back to your lowest moment. Think back to the deepest valley you were in this past year. Jesus, the true light and the good shepherd, was right beside you. And think about this coming year, 2023. At whatever point you will find yourself in a deep valley, in a dark place, Jesus, the true light, the good shepherd, will be right beside you. This is not just doctrine. It's not just theology. Seeing Jesus as the true light, the pursuing light of your life, has the power to change your experience in this life. This has the power to change your experience in times of darkness, both in the past and in the future. I was telling someone this story recently from my teenage years when I was living in the Florida panhandle and I was, about this time I was 13 or 14 years old and I was leading worship in our new church in the Florida panhandle. Uh, They had never had contemporary worship in this church before. And there I was, I think I'd just turned 14, with my guitar, and I'm up front at the 1030 service, leading a couple of songs after the prayer for purity. You can imagine how well it was going over uh, in this church. It got to the point where a few weeks in, a few months in, when I got up with my guitar, half the congregation would stand, same with me, and half the congregation would sit down and protest. And of the half that sat down in protest, half would go out to the narthex for those eight or nine minutes until I was done, and then they'd come back in for the service. There was a time I was having ice cream with my dad at a little TCBY, and the senior warden found us there. I don't know how he found us there. And he gave my dad a shoebox full of petitions to have our youth pastor let go, because he wasn't an Episcopalian, shock, and to have me let go as the... uh, as the worship leader at the 10 o'clock service, 10.30 service. It was horribly painful. I was very young. I didn't have any category for this. It was awful. I hated it. I hated my life. I hated Sunday mornings. And a, a minister came and stayed with us. He was speaking at a retreat at our church. And, and I was telling him this. And he said, Jamie, can I pray with you? And I said, sure. And so what he had me do was what I just did with you, basically. Describe the scene. Jamie, where are you standing? I'm standing on a platform. What are you doing? I'm holding my guitar. What are you singing? Uh, Lord, I lift your name on high. Uh, What are you seeing in the room? Half the people are standing, half are sitting. What are you seeing on their faces? I'm seeing anger and hatred. What else is happening? They're walking out. I walked through the whole scene with them. I was there in my mind. He got me into that moment of darkness and valley and and betrayal. And then he said, Jamie, where is Jesus? And I saw him right on the front row. And he was standing with his arms like this, receiving my praise, face full of delight. He was my light. He was my true light. It changed my life. It changed my experience. Then 
and now. Jesus is your true light. And he pursues you, and he pursues you, and he pursues you. So far in his prologue, John's been proclaiming to us, if you haven't noticed this, the fullness of the glory of Jesus. His fullness as God, his fullness as life and light, his fullness in pursuit of his children. Verse 14, his fullness in his incarnation. John says in his glory, here verse 14, as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is fullness, fullness, fullness. And that leads to our final reality, straight from verse 16. Quote, and from his fullness, we have all received Grace upon grace. Listen to how New Testament scholar F.F. Bruce put it. He says, What the followers of Christ draw from the ocean of divine fullness is grace upon grace. One wave of grace being constantly replaced by a fresh one. There is no limit to the supply of grace which God has placed at his people's disposal in Christ. I think of Paul, who in his second letter to the Corinthians, uh, chapter 12, wrote that Jesus had said these words to him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You may need to hear this this morning, that living in Jesus's fullness means that you have Jesus's fullness at your disposal, wave after wave of grace, new mercies every morning, day after day, fresh grace, inexhaustible love. We oftentimes sing this hymn from Annie Johnson Flint. He giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy To multiply trials, he multiplies his peace. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. For every person here this morning, for every need you have, Every situation, every minute of every hour of every day of this coming year, in Christ, you have access to all of his fullness, to all of God's grace, and then grace upon grace, and more grace after that. I said this earlier, I believe God had us this morning look at this chapter, because before we go any further, before we go to lunch, (laughs) before you go home and take your afternoon nap, Whatever you're going to do today, he wants to make sure we live as a people and as a church more fully in Jesus' fullness this year. Because a lot of us on New Year's Day are prone to maybe one, or one of two possible ways of thinking. Something along these lines, this is the year I'm going to turn it around. Or this is the year I'm going to be strong. Others of us might be prone to this. This year is going to be no different. There is no way that this year anything's going to turn around. And in response to either our self-boasting on the one hand or in response to our self-loathing on the other hand, God says both sides have it wrong. 
Only verse 16 gets it right. For from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. That's why God invited you and me into these deep waters this morning. The deep waters of the glories of Jesus. Because actually, these deep waters aren't meant for swimming. They're meant for drinking. And as we draw from the realities of the depths and the riches and the glories of Christ, then we can walk forward into whatever is coming this year. Quote, believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in his name. So let's pray and ask for his help this year. Oh God, we give you praise for the immeasurable love which you have shown to us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the seal that you have placed upon us of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, for these deep waters that you supply us with in Christ. Lord, save us, save us from settling for less, for living the same. Holy Spirit, draw us deeper into Christ. Draw us higher up into Christ. We pray for his glory and in his name. Amen.